0: This is the DevSecOps Days podcast. DevSecOps Days podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. Everywhere I look, you guys are there now. You're visible. You permeated the industry. How did the year go for you? As far as when you think about 2018, you guys have made some major leaps this year. How did that go
1: for you guys? Yeah, it's it's interesting because in some ways, for the last few years, every year has been a good year, right? So that's 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 a good good part of it. But if you actually look at how it works, what's interesting for me is the underlying layers that sustain this digital transformation, things like cloud and containers and so on, they're constantly evolving. <coughs> and so if you look at a few years back, it was say Docker and then Mesos and a bit of Swarm and now it's Kubernetes. And it seems like Kubernetes is for real, right? But uh, it's it's interesting because lots of organizations, including ours, we're in a position where you either uh, Surf those waves because you have to because that's what customers are expecting because that's a new thing they're going to be investing not for the next two years or three years they're going to be investing for the next five or ten years yeah. so you need to show that you understand those, those behavior and and, and you you're sticking to to uh, to the new way on the other hand it's frustrating because some of those waves come and go and uh, and so you have to make investments that you know might not be the the final investments. And so part of your investment needs to be spent in keeping those foundations strong and up-to-date. And then obviously you need to also invest in building net new value, new features on on top. And uh, I don't think that's unique to to CloudBees. If you look at the space of repository or testing or you can look at everywhere, you've got the same behavior. And you could certainly say, you know what, let's not do it let's wait three or five years and and we will do it then but uh... you, you just become legacy in no it's time too in late. this industry it's
0: yeah. too late. when we started uh, working with you on the conferences when it first started yeah, two hundred people at the first conference yeah. what, what's going on here what do you got
1: coming this week so i think we're gonna be uh, about two thousand this week yeah. and um, not just that but we realized that a lot of for lots of european it was hard to travel and justify his investment to cross yeah, not right. just the ocean but uh, the country um, and so uh, we're going to have a new one in nice a european version in nice in france in about a month and uh, i don't know how many we're going to be maybe 750 maybe a 1000 so if you look at the net increase yeah. uh, the sum of both it's it's pretty pretty impressive yeah
0: How are you guys utilizing the community? Are you taking input? Um, Are you building a network of advocates? How are you utilizing it?
1: It's, It's an interesting topic and I think one where there is no constant answer. We have to modulate over time because club is changing, the community is changing. So yeah. it's like it, it feels a bit like a married couple, where once in a while you, you need to uh, readjust uh, to be uh, to 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 be a, a good couple. Where it, it gets interesting is when you have some big changes, some big transition, not just evolution, but more like revolution. Yeah, yeah. And when those occur. it it doesn't depend so much on the processes, on the governance, on uh, the community in terms of uh, velocity of the community or inertia. It depends on people, specific individuals that can bring the spark that says, well, wake up call, we're going there. I believe in there, let's go. And people follow or don't follow. And I think we're a bit in that situation where um, you have a lot of users that are fine with Jenkins as it was 15 mm-hmm. years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And now some other people are saying, well, yeah, that's fine for those type of use cases. But look, when we do Kubernetes, when we do serverless, when we do this, this, and that, we need something different. The way we want to deploy things changes. And so either you ignore that or you don't. And I think those are the typical changes that are not so much dependent on a community, but more independent, uh, dependent on, on a person standing up and saying this is my vision and i'm going to show through code how it works i I feel like sometimes this is where companies can be helpful because for a for a community to somehow elect or or get somebody to magically stand up to do that it's pretty rare and this probably explains why so few communities are very old, right? You have Linux, you have uh, Apache, you have a number of—I'm uh, talking about HTPD or, or some other project—so you have some long-standing projects that exist. But you you also have lots of communities that had a great ride for five years or maybe seven, eight years, but then disappear and vanish because they don't make sense anymore. And so, if I look at the last twelve months, I'm super excited by what James Strachan has done with Jenkins X, for example. Taking the good thing about Jenkins, but also taking a much more radical approach when it Mm. comes to fitting to this new way of doing things, a very opinionated way. Not, you know, oh, we have 1,400 plugins, figure it out, but more, well, yeah, you might still want to figure it out, but here is my way, and I think it's a darn good, good way. And what's interesting is that it creates almost a vacuum of energy not not a negative vacuum but more like you know when uh, you have two sports cars and the one behind is is, is sticking behind because it knows it can it 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 can benefit from this vacuum from the car behind and what we've seen what what uh, kosuke announced a few weeks back with uh, all of those projects towards the renovation of modernization of jenkins um, and, you know, uh, configuration as code, uh, cloud-native uh, engine, and uh, and so on and so on. So he, he's building this vision for a, a CI engine, a core CI engine that's much more modern uh, without leaving behind the people who don't necessarily want or benefit from, from that. But we're going through that transition right now, mm-hmm. and it's it's extremely interesting to watch. Anne
0: Winblad has said that basically we're headed towards the api economy in that if you don't have the ability to be integrated with all the other tools you're going to get left behind you guys look with the marketplace it looks like you've done well with that
1: yeah i think it's a good it's a good observation. as so, and you see it with SaaS, for example right it's a world of api and and one of the key problem becomes this uh, the cost of integration among products yeah, yeah. and so Coming with, I think that's one of the benefits of opinionated approach. It's not just around APIs, but it's also about preferred integration, out of the box integration, and saying, okay, you might want to do uh, uh, borderline things, that's fine, you can do it, we have APIs, but out of the box, here is what we propose uh, should work well. Uh, so I think it's a good approach.
0: Everywhere we go, we're seeing CloudBees and we're seeing Jenkins as part of the pipeline. Where do you as a CEO visualize yourself in the DevSecOps pipeline?
1: We don't really see ourselves as playing as a DevSecOps vendor per se, directly, right? We want to collaborate with company to do that, and, and we think it's a space where you can find lots of great companies with great innovation already, so that's not necessarily a place where we want to go. But integration with those systems is extremely important, mm-hmm. and that's part of the things we're going to talk about at, at Jenkins World this year. Um, it's around the, the future of where we're going as a, as a company, and um, there is this tension that, that I think uh, will em- start to emerge more and more in the next few years around on one hand this desire to enable and empower developers and and that's great right that's what we're doing with CICD and the DevOps strategy it's all about empowering uh, developers and that's great but then you fast forward and you imagine you have a thousand super smart guy fully empowered to create new stuff well, that's great, but what is gonna end up in production? Well, the sum of all of those creative threads being pushed to production, you know, those millions of parallel threads of innovation being pushed. And it feels like there is a lack of governance there, right? And so developers wanna be empowered, but organizations want to feel like they're fulfilling their responsibilities and that the CEO can sleep at night. And so how do you make those two things converge? And that's, that, that healthy tension is unavoidable in any creative process within a structured environment, right? You have some always a check and balances somehow. But I, I don't necessarily think this industry has, has figured out how that would work. and uh, that's what we intend on, on solving. My, my bet is that the companies that will be able to figure out the right balance between check/ control, governance, and on the other hand, Empowering developers, finding this right balance, uh, will be some of the best at creating innovation. Uh, You could make a point that, no, you just want to go wild and let just uh, creativity happen, but but at some point, uh, you're going to face some some hard times when you're going to do mistakes, or you could have extreme control, but extreme control doesn't bode well with, with creativity.
0: When Equifax happened a year ago, it was a wake-up call for the open source industry, big time. Did you guys have an event like that?
1: Yeah, we we had a... I wouldn't say that big, but I think we're very focused on on those aspects. And the reason for that is we think that the CI-CD process and uh, some of the tools along the way are potentially Uh, amazing target for hackers. Mm -hmm. Because if you get to hack the machines that build the machine, then you get to hack a lot of software at scale, right? And so I think there is uh, some awareness of this. Uh, We have a team working on security. But that, you know, security is like everything, right? You you always try to do your best, but you never have 100% certainty. That's true of any piece of software. But that's something that we're very much aware of. Uh, and, and that this industry, the DevOps industry, should be aware of. We're all owning part of the gen- next generation IT. Everything we're doing, and it's not just CloudBees, but all of us as vendors, uh, we own a piece that, if hacked the right way, I might say, okay. could put in danger not just one software, but lots of softwares.
0: The State of the Software Supply Chain Report that uh, Derek Weeks does has a diagram that kind of floors me. It, It shows that a couple years ago, from the time a vulnerability was announced to the time that uh, people would actually start utilizing that to hack into systems was 45 days. And when you look at Equifax, it was down to three days. So that the time to response is getting exponentially shorter, not just by the year, but almost by the month. Right now, it's almost an immediate thing. Once a, once a vulnerability is announced, they're in. Because there's so many tools to do that.
1: Yeah, you can industrialize the process of leveraging those yeah. those issues, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: What, what you said is right. Everybody has to be responsible. For me, the the problem is one of inertia. When you look at the OWASP top ten, mm-hmm. virtually unchanged in ten years. Yeah. Everybody knows what the vulnerabilities are. Everybody knows that there are fixes for those. When you're looking at it, what's stopping the community from fixing the cherry-picking things, from actually making things secure at a very basic level? It
1: just. Uh, <laughs> fear. I think uh, maybe they don't have the fear yet. It's going to come, sure. but uh, I think it's all about it. We're, we're all reptilian at the end of the day and I think if you don't have enough fear about something, then you let it go. There has
0: to be some kind of triggering event that acts as a catalyst for people to change. Yeah.
1: Nobody's going to change if things are going okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't want to uh, go too much philosophical but I'll do a quick parenthesis if you <laughs> don't mind. But <laughs> yeah. it, to, to me, and, and I'm not sure, have you ever watched this movie called Zero Days? It's, it's around this, um, this, uh, this quote-unquote virus um, that was done by the U.S. government back in the days to stop the, uh, the, the Iranian creation of enriched of uh, uranium. Uh, Kim Zetter's book. Yeah. And, well, there is a, a movie as well, okay, good. and, and it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Lots of, of great people being interviewed. And <clears throat> what's the bottom line of all of this is that a lot of our infrastructure, we're not talking here about banking applications, whatever, right? Uh, those are important, but even baseline infrastructure
0: mm-hmm.
1: is based on computers that are 20, 25 years old, sometimes more. And the level of security of those systems is extremely low. The, the reality is that today, you know, we, we all countries are equipped with uh, FA 18s and, and tanks and, and big weapons. But the biggest risk, in my opinion, is uh, an online war mm-hmm. and leveraging all of I those agree. security holes to put down uh, a, a, a complete economy. Uh, and so I'm not going to spoil the movie. You should definitely watch <laughs> it, especially at the end. They, they talk extensively about that. But yes, there is. There is a need, much like we had agreements, the START agreement uh, back when was that in the 80s between uh, uh, the Eastern Bloc and the Western Bloc on, on nuclear weapons. There is the same need uh, that, that exists today to secure this infrastructure. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, that large, too.
0: You mentioned uh, the old computers on the flight here from New York to San Francisco. The uh, entertainment system went down and it rebooted Linux 2002 as the entertainment system, with the latest update of 2007. So we are looking at old, old systems that are the core of a lot of infrastructure in this culture. It's
1: it's scary. And probably uh, the connection between the onboard system and the uh, online systems might not have been a physical switch, who knows? Maybe it's a VLAN segmentation and, and the switch they've used is also from 2002, you know? Who knows? Well, that's what Chris so. Roberts is exploring, right? Right. Um, I, I talk
0: to Chris almost every day because we're writing a book together. Nice. Um, and it's fascinating what he is able to do and is willing to tell anybody that wants to know to help the government, to help the airlines. But as you say, there's a certain fear of opening up your system to say, yeah, go ahead and take a run at it and see what we got.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you want them to be afraid, but there is almost like, because fear makes them react. But on the other hand, you don't want to, for as long as possible, you don't want to be the first one to open that kind of worms. Because you know that if what people say is true, then the impact is going to be so massive that we might not even know how to fix it. Right. That's an ostrich. you got your head in the sand because… Exactly. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But but think about an airline CEO. It's going to be like, okay, so if they discover something, it's not just going to be against me. It's likely going to be for the entire airline industry. Yes. And so what are we going to do in the meantime? Are we going to just fly planes saying, well, it's not like we have an option anyway, but it's not secure? So don't need to, to, to fear about knives or anything, right? Just a telnet prompt mm-hmm. is going to do fine. Um, or uh, you ground everything. What do you do, right? And so there is also this feeling that I think people are fine to go and fix the solution in a very iterative process because it means nothing stops. no, no you know, Nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. But, but I, I feel like the incentives are not necessarily the right ones. <laughs> You know, incentives are key to all of those problems at the end of the day. If you tell a CEO, for example, look, there is digital transformation going on, software is eating the world, you need to become a software vendor, blah, blah, blah. You do this pitch, but then you do the pitch, but then the guy is paid and his compensation is margin. That's it. Why the heck would he spend five years in a painful digital transformation and impact his margin? When he could work for five years, get great margins, and then he's gonna leave, go to the next company and who cares if the company dies ten years from now. That was not the mission he was given. And I think it's true in lots of domains. The the compensation, the incentives that people have are very much anchored in short term objectives that are not necessarily that do not take into account the vision for the bigger transformations that are happening on the market. And if you can't reconcile those, if you can't have a board that has this vision, it's not just the exec team, but the board that has a vision, and that can then compile this vision into actual incentives for the exec team, I, I, I don't have a good view into how this can get solved. Uh,
0: it's an interesting way to look at it, because when we look at how to solve the problem, we're looking at three layers, developer layer, management layer, and then C-level suite layer. And I think, honestly, that the developers are aware, aware of the problem and they want to do something about it. But they don't have any buying power. Do they have? In good companies, they have enough influence to go in and say, look, we need to do this because... As you guys are running around, you're in every major enterprise in the world pretty much now. Are you finding those same layers and the same... Uh, issues that you're having to argue through each time.
1: Yeah, and, and actually uh, tomorrow during my keynote, I'll, I'll talk about some of the evolution, the, the well, the maturity of CI/CD adoption in organizations. And I'll talk. About, I talk typically mm-hmm. about step one, which is kind of more of a bottom-up adoption, typical in lots of organizations. And then step two is nothing, because it essentially means that unless management and exec buy into the strategy, nothing will move. There is only so much you can do. Developers or specific teams are not going to, on their own, remove silo and change company-wide processes and so on. Right? It needs to come from from top down. So we definitely see that. And much like for the incentive I was talking about, I know that we can talk as much as we want about software visiting the world and explaining what's going on. We're not being heard. The only thing that makes company move is once you have a Maverick company comes on the market, leverage software to win, and then it's a big wake-up call. It's like, oh, wh- why don't we do that? What's going on? And big discussion, big uh, uh, a restatement of the vision and the mission and so on, and things move. Because suddenly, the incentive have to be reset on those new targets, right? But unless that happens...
0: So that's the main trigger?
1: Yeah, yeah. For the acceleration, there needs to, to get this buying. but competition is... is from what I've seen, obviously you'll find leaders in any in any domain, right? Mm-hmm. You'll find banks and, and whatever companies or the, the Netflix that are the first one to have that vision and execute on that. There's a, there's a maverick I'm talking about. But if you really look at, at, at the rest of the market, uh, it, it, uh, it it needs this competition. Just look at cloud adoption, right? 2010 when we started at CloudBees, we're a platform as a service purely on the public cloud and so on. I remember going to Wall Street and... I'll never forget the, the look on their face. They, they probably thought I was very cute talking about cloud. You know, it was all about how, no, you're not getting it. Uh, we have so many uh, constraints and policies and you know, our data centers are great and, and this and so on. And they were essentially telling me how banks would never ever be able to adopt the cloud unless one do it. You know and when one company started doing it then it's the reverse becomes true it's like okay so tell me this bank is going in the cloud so are they gonna go in jail or did you screw up and you were not quite right mm-hmm. but it's one of the one of the two right it can't be it can, it's one or the other that's it mm-hmm. and same thing same thing <laughs> Personal thanks for you
0: guys supporting all day DevOps. You yep. guys took the big role there. It's very helpful. We went over eleven thousand registrations this morning. Amazing. And we've amazing. got a month to go,
1: so we're on a roll. Yeah, we love this event. It's it's really a great way for people to learn about tons of stuff, be exposed to tons of stuff related to DevOps. Wherever you are on Earth, though, so, uh, <laughs> that's that's an amazing event. All right. Good. Have a good week. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right.
0: This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk.